the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And a pleasant good afternoon to you just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. here on the Wednesday October the 18th edition of Lifeline. Wasn't it interesting? We were talking yesterday about the anniversary of Loma Prieta earthquake. And this morning, nine something in the morning, we all got treated to a earthquake alert that uh, appeared to be much to do about nothing. But uh, yeah, at least the government is trying, right? <laughs> so in any event, let's uh, let's get down to cases. Today is going to be a, uh, a pretty heavy day in terms of content. But um, we think that it's important that we bring you a fuller, perhaps less filtered perspective as to what is going on in the current crisis in Israel today. And I start by saying that I find it The emotions kind of run the gambit from disbelief to anger to frustration to a sense of curious oddity related to the response in some quarters to what has been transpiring in Israel over the last two weeks or so. Um, I think there was a general sense of shock with the surprise early morning attack by Hamas on a music festival filled with young people. And then more shockingly still, going into a kibbutz, people were barely getting up to start their weekend on a Saturday morning and to literally massacre hundreds of people, men, women, and children, while yet in their beds. What I find most troubling is the response. Shock, I think, initially of the news of the attack by Hamas, but then greater shock still of anybody that would think that Israel should just sit back and not defend herself, not defend innocent people, not demand an end to the violence, and to, in some respects, do everything that they possibly can Yes, even if by force, in order to give an answer for the horror that was brought upon Israel on an early September morning, just a scant two weeks ago, and trying to figure out why some people are upset that universities are not weighing in on this as if that somehow is a thing. But most importantly, Americans not fully understanding the breadth and depth of not only the horror of this tragedy, but that it also tends to play into the hands of anti-Semitics, sadly both here at home and abroad and around the world, somehow justifying their inexplicable, unexcusable behavior 
to ratchet up rhetoric and, in some cases, violence. The program tonight, we're going to be giving you some reports as to what has transpired and the current state in Israel directly. Uh, Yuri Steinberg with CityServe will be joining us live from Jerusalem momentarily in tonight's program. But I want to lead off first with Michelle Van Loon. Michelle had one of those missed-it-by-that-much experiences by the grace of God as she was scheduled to return to Israel on October the 8th, just one day following this horrific attack. Michelle is a best-selling author. One of her more recent books called Becoming Sage, Cultivating Meaning, Purpose, and Spirituality at Midlife. She is the co-founder of the PerennialGen.com website designed uniquely for midlife men and women. And uh, she, of course, is also a Jewish follower of Jesus. And Michelle, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Um, give me first your 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 sense of response. Uh, bags packed, passports in the ready, airplane tickets set out, ready to make your way, returning to Israel, and just the morning prior to your flight. Undoubtedly, like many of us, starting the day by turning on the news in the morning, pouring a cup of coffee, and hearing about the horror of what had transpired in Israel. Well, it actually started for us. First, thanks for having me. I'm really honored to be able to to talk with you about this a little bit. Um, my husband um, was on the board of a ministry based in Jerusalem for 10 years. So we made many trips back and forth up through um, 2018. And we had planned to go back, and then COVID happened. And anyway, this was going to be our, our first trip back since 2018. And on his phone, he has the Red Alert app that many Israelis use to get notified when there are rockets being launched from the West Bank, from Gaza, from up north. And he uses it as a prompt to pray. And typically when that alarm goes off, it goes off for a few minutes. It's terrible, but it stops. But the morning of October 7th, alarm did not stop. And I I got up. He, he was laying there probably just listening to the alarm. I'm not exactly, he's a pretty heavy sleeper. But I got up and went and turned on the TV because I was like, something is wrong here. And um, by that hour, um, I live on the East Coast. By that hour of the morning, it was like 5.30, um, the words war were already on the Chiron running across the bottom of the screen. And, you know, the stories were just beginning to unfold. And it was, um, it was pretty horrifying. Both of my parents are Jewish. My husband's mom is Jewish. And so we are, are deeply connected to the Jewish community, both of us are followers of Jesus as well, and have been for since our teens. We're old Jesus freaks, but um, we live in between both worlds um, in a lot of ways. We've got connections, family connections, and connections in the Jewish community, and 
we are also active um, church members, and I'm a writer and a speaker. So we we kind of live between both worlds and um, do what we can actually to serve as interpreters to each other, each community as we are able to do so. That morning, um, shortly after I woke up and saw what was going on, a friend who lives outside Jerusalem saw that I had hopped online and she used a message app to call me and her first words as the air raid sirens were going off in the background at her place were, don't come, this is different. And it was, it was like someone had thrown a bolt of lightning into the room. It was such, such a shocking few minutes as I started putting together what was happening. No more shocking, of course, than what happened to the people who were greeted with, with guns and, and rifles and um, kidnappings and murder. Michelle, I'm um, curious, what was your first sense of the utter severity of this, that this is something that, while certainly tragically not not strange to Israel, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, there has been a protracted period of time where events of this particular severity and gravity and horror had not happened. And, I, and I'm just curious, for me, I'll be honest, when, when, you know, having been to Israel and aware of the sensitivities and that, you know, you, you go with a sense of exercising your faith and hoping and praying, but but understanding that she is largely surrounded by enemies, some of whom, you know, kind of agree to disagree and look the other way, others of whom, uh, quite frankly, proactively wish her complete demise, and, and, and clearly Hamas is high upon that list. But for me, when I heard that the American government began chartering planes to rapidly bring Americans home, up to the point of even sending a cruise ship, a passenger cruise ship there, to as rapidly remove people from Israel as possible, said to me, this is a little different, and they expect, at least from from an American intelligence standpoint, and obviously information that's being shared with us out of Tel Aviv, they expect that this is going to get worse before it gets better. Do, Do you get that sense? Oh, absolutely, and pretty much within just the first few minutes of starting to absorb what was happening. Um, And the fact that we were less than 24 hours away from leaving ourselves was um, a little bit mind-boggling. And a lot of kind people who knew that we were going, oh, I'm so happy that you weren't there. I'm, you know, all of that. You know, I'm so grateful that you weren't caught in that. Well, yes, but my my heart is there. My soul is there. I am bound with the the destiny of my people, my brothers and sisters, my relatives who are who are Jewish, and I feel it deeply. And I I think as I looked on social media and began talking to people, I heard the same thing, that that sense of, that we're barely safe, anti-Semitism is on the rise in the West, this is not news, 
Um, but there's always been in a lifetime a sense that there's always Israel, and even though it's surrounded, she is surrounded by millions and millions of enemies that want to drive her into the sea. That's always been a beacon of that we can put a pin in it and say there is a place. There is there's a sanctuary. It may not be um, the safest sanctuary or the most impermeable sanctuary, but it is a sanctuary, and it it feels like there really isn't a safe place right now in this world. I want to take a time out. Well, when we come back, Michelle, I want to get some of your perspective in terms of some of the response we've heard here at home, uh, particularly what appeared to be, from my observation, uh, a sudden shift. I mean, initially, I think that there was almost, while perhaps not quite universal, nevertheless, a fairly widespread sense of shock and horror and how many can, who can possibly do this and how can you do this to families and innocent children and so on and so forth. And why that response seemed to suddenly pivot on a dime the minute Israel started taking actions to protect herself. We'll get to that part of the conversation in a moment. Michelle Van Loon with us today, author of a number of best-selling books. As I mentioned in my opening remarks, Michelle and her husband, bags packed, practically with passport and airplane tickets in hand to depart for Israel literally the day after the Saturday of this tragic event on October the 7th. Some perspectives from a Jewish follower of Jesus as our conversation continues here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're back to the conversation. Best-selling author Michelle Van Loon with us today. Michelle Van Loon is, as I mentioned, a best-selling author. One of her more recent books, Becoming Sage, Cultivating Meaning, Purpose, and Spirituality in Midlife. She's also the co-founder of the PerennialGen.com website, uniquely designed for midlife men and women. She was, as I mentioned in the opening remarks at the top of the hour, bound with her husband for Israel, set to depart on October the 8th, the very day after this shocking and horrific attack. One of the things that I'm trying to wrap my mind around that perhaps you can give some perspective to, and you talked earlier, Michelle, about sometimes serving as that bridge or that interpreter, so to speak, between the two sides. So let's see how you do it between the sides that say we support Israel and the sides that say, yeah, it's all about these poor Palestinians. I'm trying to understand why initially they're seeing to be a universal sense of dismay and shock right to the time when Israel said, okay, time to defend ourselves. You've encroached on our territory. You have attacked our people. You have murdered uh, in the early days upwards of 1,000, 1,200 innocent young people, children, sometimes even families still in their beds, burned homes down, destroyed lives. And the very moment that Israel took decisive action to repel the invaders, suddenly the dialogue switched and we had people saying, how can they do this to the poor Palestinian people? Help me understand that, because quite frankly, that that sense of double-mindedness or inability to to sort of view the totality of the facts just puzzles me. So we were supposed to leave for Israel on October 8th, as you said. 
on October 9th, my husband and I joined um, with about a thousand other people in our community at uh, an event that was sponsored by our local Jewish Federation. It wasn't just limited to Jewish people, or at least some of them would have been upset that we were there because a lot of Jewish people believe that I'm a traitor because I believe Jesus is the Messiah. But we went and um, we were heartened at the turnout. One of the speakers said, now this was 48 hours into into the events that were unfolding in Israel. He said, right now the world is is with us, that we're receiving lots of sympathy and lots of support. He said, but it is going to be just a matter of days before the narrative turns. In fact, it's already starting. You know, and these these speakers are people that have their pulse on what's happening in the media, what's happening at universities, what's happening in Washington, what's happening in at the state level. And um, and he was right. And I, I wasn't surprised, and, but I was grateful for the reminder that it wouldn't take long for a lot of the conversation to change. I am grateful for the, the strong support that President Biden has has given um, even today. He was in Israel and he he's made a couple of um, very impassioned speeches that don't have loophole holes built in for you know the what about this and what about that um, narrative of the the other side. The the Palestinians the. The people in Gaza, they are made in the image of God. Not every Palestinian is a terrorist. You know, this, this is the act of terrorism, and it's a culture of, of terrorism that has existed for lots of reasons. If this was a simple problem to fix, it would have been resolved already. It's not, nothing about this is simple. And it is very painful. The, the the hospital that experienced the bombing yesterday where 500 souls lost their lives or more than 500, um, it was kind of amazing how quickly it the narrative in almost every major news outlet, New York Times and a, a lot of the cable news stations were, this was Israel. This was Israel. Well, not so fast. And it, it seems that a lot of intelligence is um, coming out today to say, yeah, it probably wasn't Israel. And there's there's a whole history of bombs being fired from that region that end up detonating in Gaza itself instead of hitting their intended targets. Well, I got to tell you, when, when I first saw it, and, and first off, I tell you, uh, when I heard reports 500 killed, death and mayhem, mm-hmm. I went online and I began to do a little bit of research. The first thing that struck me to the idea that there was something amiss here is a Palestinian mm-hmm. online newspaper talked about the carnage and then they laid mm-hmm. out photographs. And you know, the old adage, right. you know, uh, pictures worth, uh, you know, the Photographs worth a thousand words, right? And then it struck me. There's 11 photographs here, 
And if you look closely, it's the exact same room reporting the exact same damage taken from 11 different angles. So it wasn't 11 rooms in a hospital. It was one room photographed 11 times, which then got me thinking, okay, we'll wait till tomorrow in the morning to see what other evidence comes forward and independent Mm -hmm. reporting coming from other news sources. But it would seem to me that just from the propaganda, quote unquote, side alone, this would be a pretty dumb idea. I cannot believe as razor precise as IDF is, mm-hmm. unless this was really something that just wantingly went far, far, far off target, mm-hmm. that this this smells like an action by Hamas or one of her constituents that's conveniently blaming this on Israel. And let's face it, there is a long reputation of Islamic terrorists demonstrating no regard for the value of life, whether they happen to be Jewish, Mm-hmm. non-Jewish, or even Muslim. If they can use violence to get their point across, they'll do it. They have a history of it. So it, it seemed to me that immediately the the direction in which blame was being laid was just far too quick and way too convenient. Well, it was, it was another chapter in the story that was already unfolding that that speaker said on, at that Monday night, gathering that my husband and I attended, you know, it's not going to take long. And um, I I am grateful for the Christians that are out there, my, my brothers and sisters in Jesus that are praying, that are reaching out to Jewish friends and neighbors to check in on them and to say, how are you doing? Um, to churches that are reaching out to synagogues and other Jewish organizations in their communities to be able to just say we, we're with you, we see, we know these are really hard and dark times and um, you know we've got to you know and kinds of expressions and the ongoing prayer and everyone who's affected war affects everyone and it reverberates for generations. Every single person in that region, their lives have been turned upside down and um, and there's no end in sight. And so they, they do need prayer. They do need, you know, financial, practical financial support, meals and, and um, all of all of the rest that is going to be needed because economies have been disrupted. There wasn't much of an economy in Gaza to begin with, and now it is a humanitarian crisis there as well. And certainly this is going to be very disruptive for everybody living in Israel in the region, because let's face it, uh, the vulnerability of terror attacks uh, is, you know, up up uh, on an uptick uh, to a significant degree. And it doesn't mean that you just have to live within, you know, so many miles or kilometers of the proximity of the border. Uh, you know, we, we've seen incursions all the way in, in Tel Aviv and certainly attempts uh, repeatedly in Israel as well. So. Uh, 
I, th- I think there's an important lesson to be learned there, uh, too, that uh, there there is, you know, significant pain and suffering to go all the way around and and uh, economic ramifications. I mean, just look what this is doing to tourism in Israel. Uh, that That's certainly going to be, you know, be a big, a big uh, uh, how should we say, axe to the tree uh, of, of tourism for at least the coming months. Ultimately, how should, in your opinion, Michelle, how should we be praying for Israel? Well, I I think we are commanded, and, and it's easy to just treat its statement, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, to, to stand with her, to seek her good. But by doing that, we are, if... If the Jewish people are to be a blessing to the nations, and they are, our Messiah came from the Jewish people. This this is not disconnected from us as as Christians, as followers of Jesus. To be able to pray means that we are also willing to act. You know, to speak up when when somebody says something um, anti-Semitic, to call it. To, to offer support and to, to rise up that part of praying means that we are putting ourselves in God's hands and he's calling us to, to action as well. Can you stay with me for one more segment, Michelle? I want to ask you a couple of more questions, and and uh, frankly, we're also trying to see if we can um, borrow a little bit of time here while we're trying to make a connection with our contact in Jerusalem. So stay with us, if you would, for a moment. Michelle Van Loon with us today. She was bound for Israel the very day, scheduled to be uh, on an airplane heading toward Tel Aviv the very day after this tragic um, event unfolding in Israel with the terrorist attack on um, citizens of a kibbutz families and a uh, a rave or a uh, an outdoor music festival where upwards of 200 young people we're talking about you know older teens to 20 somethings literally massacred and dozens and dozens and dozens of hostages taken that are now suddenly showing up even on television as um, social media is beginning to to release this content um, at the hands of Hamas. We'll take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back with Michelle Van Loon, and uh, my engineer is uh, putting the, the final touches on connecting up with uh, Yuri Steinberg, who will join us live from Israel. Michelle, what do you want people to know in terms of how we can engage in discussion? We're hearing this around the water cooler at work, outside in front of, of Starbucks, different places. I know that sometimes from a believer's perspective, there's an inclination to try and, you know, wrap this into end times prophecy, things of that sort. There's a lot of misinformation that's out there as well. Ideally, how should people be talking about this in a positive way that can be encouraging for the people of Israel in this time of crisis? Well, I I think that um, by beginning with realizing that it's people in and and beyond in the region, unfortunately, I think that there's a, there's a lot of um, sparks of other um, 
skirmishes and activity that are happening in the West Bank and up north as well. Um, and it's it's not going to take much for this to ratchet up another level or two. Um, but recognize that um, Jewish people and if you if you are friends with a Muslim, they're they're probably feeling unsettled as well. But I can speak as you know for myself as a Jewish follower of Jesus that most of us would say we're not okay right now. That this is hard. This is scary. It's unsettling. Um, a lot of us have connections, family, friends. Um, or, or just have visited Israel, and it is a part of our identity. It's a part of our story. And so being able to be sensitive to the fact that this isn't just data and a news story and something to debate, um, but that there are human beings involved is an important place to start. Yeah, I, I think um, that is perhaps the most important message here, that we tend to want to get into the political angle or the eschatological angle or the militaristic angle, and we talk about numbers and casualties and not recognizing that these numbers and casualties are real people and real human lives. And while there might be a propensity to want to sort of argue one's point, and I'm not saying that certainly at a time like this that you can and shouldn't be defending Israel, uh, we need to be mindful at the end of the day, the, the, the tragedy is the human life loss. And while there are complexities related to the politics of all of this that go back decades, centuries, uh, being sensitive to all of that. And, you know, with so much negativity that we're hearing, even in the mainstream press in the West, encouraging people that you know, your Jewish friends and family and neighbors, and just giving them a word of encouragement, letting them know that you are praying for Israel uh, is so important. Uh, Michelle Van Loon, I want to thank you so much for being with us. I know you're, you've are you been through a lot here uh, with uh, this truncated trip to Israel. And, and then, of course, uh, concerns over fam family and friends. Thank you so much for taking time to uh, give us some insights. We go now to Israel. Yuri Steinberg joins us, Director of City Serve Israel. Uri, welcome and uh, thank you so much. I realize that it's uh, about 3.30, almost 4 o'clock in the morning there, so we apologize in advance for getting you out of bed, but we are so appreciative of the opportunity to spend some time. Give us kind of an update, uh, sort of a boots-on-the-ground perspective as to how people are feeling in Israel right now. Well, thanks for having me, Craig. Um, unfortunately, there's not, not a lot of um, sleeping going on, I think, these days in Israel. Um, so, um, right now, I would say that um, confusion and shock, confusion and shock is still kind of the main um, feelings that you would have people kind of carrying around with them. Um, it's still very hard to grasp and to understand the um, uh, um, uh, the size or the the the, the um, I think uh, the um, the quantity of the number of people who lost their life and the um, um, I would say um, the repercussions of what has happened is something that we're all trying to really grasp and understand. Um, the main thing that is on people's mind right now, myself included, is our kids. Our kids are going through um, the toughest time right now. And there is something extremely shocking in us 
in, in the world have adapt to this new reality that is a big question mark. We're not really sure what tomorrow brings. We're not really sure what will be a month from now. So this new uncharted territory um, is what's on people's mind right now. And at the same time, um, we're mourning. Um, uh, you know, in Israel, there's no six degrees of separation. You have maximum of two degrees of separation. So when 1,400 people um, die just like that in this horrific massacre, everyone knows someone. And in a country where we are kind of tight-knit, um, Jewish country where um, everyone knows someone, there is a different feeling about how you feel about a brother and who just lost their lives. So um, a lot of shock, a lot of mourning, um, and yet um, I think also some, some glimmer of hope in the horizon. I, I heard it recently said, and I, I apologize, I don't recall who said this or where I read it, but basically indicating that, that at this period right now in Israel, everybody knows someone that is either going to a funeral or going to war, uh, meaning that the repercussions, the ripple effect across the totality of Israel is being very widespread felt. And, you know, certainly the notion of terrorist attacks and incursions, uh, the loss of life, is is not anything new, and in fact, it's probably more routine than most Westerners outside of Israel realize. The only difference is that oftentimes it's it's a small attack here, it's a bus attack there, it's a single individual being killed by a terrorist, and quite frequently it doesn't make the newspapers in the United States if it even makes the Jerusalem Post. But this was different, both in terms of the size, the complexity of this attack, Attack and the brutality of the attack. And I, I'm, I'm just curious. I know that you undoubtedly have friends here in the United States. I'll mention that Jerry is the former director of the Israel Ministry of Tourism Chicago office. He's also served as a North American marketing office in Jerusalem for the Israel Ministry of Tourism and currently engaged as a city serve director for Israel. Uh, what is the most important thing that you would like Americans to understand? about how Israelis are feeling right now and then that sense of being uh, so put off of one's equilibrium, particularly for those that are feeling very vulnerable. I mean, looking at a lot of the photographs coming out of the kibbutz and seeing reports of people who were literally slaughtered in their beds while they were still asleep or uh, fire bombings and things of this sort that have left behind memories of, of happy times of weddings and bar mitzvahs and family events and things all strewn about the floor of a home and and this the horrific senseless loss of life what's the most important thing that you want people in america to be aware of right now first of all um um i cannot stress enough how much israelis in the last 10 days have um were comforted were comforted by the uh, general approach of the United States. We live in a brutal world, we live in a tough world, a world that is hostile to Jews. And Jewish history came knocking at our door, reminded us that we're not safe, reminded us again that there are double standards globally for how you treat certain terror attacks and how you treat terror attacks that are against Jews, you know. 1,400 
people that were massacred in such a way. And we still have in some high learning institutions in the United States pro Hamas demonstrations as if it's legit. And yet, the uh, this big hug that we got, honestly, from the administration and from the people of the United States, there was a survey released today about um, the level of support for for Israel in the United States, is comforting. Um, and and this comfort will not be forgotten. And I think if people needed a reminder here, not just for the brutality. Of, of Hamas and our enemies um, um, we also got a reminder for who are really your best friends and specifically in the United States it's once again the Christian community that is standing up and, and, and making sure that its voice is being heard um, and, and I'm proud to, to be in a moment where we can feel that you know you were talking about the kibbutz um, and, and people out there are outraged by the fact that in Gaza, there's no water to bathe children, right? There's like a humanitarian crisis, etc. In Kibbutz Be'eri, in Kibbutz Be'eri, there are no children to bathe. Um, and, and one of the things that I want people to understand is the, 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 the sheer, the level of trauma that these communities are going through. Not only are we, uh, as a country, will need to heal after that, not only will we have to come to terms with a new reality of who are the Palestinians and what are we to do with, you know, with that, it's how do you take 50,000 people that were butchered as if they're in a 19th century pogrom in Eastern Europe um, and not in the sovereign Jewish state of Israel how do you go back to reality how do you go back and relive in the same places that those horrors have happened and um, in this time of in this time um, we need friends to comfort us and we need friends to come and help us especially when as the clock is ticking as time is passing by you see uh, reality in West, other Western countries where there's so much condemnation to Israel, to Israel for what it's doing. Um, and it seems to us sometimes that the only people that really get us and understand what are we doing and how Israel is a beacon of democracy, a beacon of freedom in this um, um, area of, of darkness in most cases. And, and receiving this big hug from the you know, American people, and specifically from the Christian community, uh, will never be forgotten and is extremely appreciated to be uh, um, as an understatement, I'm saying it, here in Israel. And maybe to put this in perspective too, and you, you, you briefly alluded to it, I, I want to draw out of 20th century history. Uh, I, can, I can only Imagine how horrified uh, many of us who understand and know our history would be were the events of World War II taking place in not the 20th century, but rather current day in the 21st century. And if, for example, people saw the, the utter destruction of a city like Cologne or Dresden, Germany, 
mm-hmm. and to say, how can the Americans do that? Germany never attacked you. How can you possibly go in and lay to waste block after city block, mile after mile of once was once a proud, glorious city, and you have reduced it to absolute rubble? You know, you would be shocked in thinking there is somebody who clearly doesn't know the full story. There is someone who is seeing just a very sliver of information and has no long term perspective. And I think it's important for even people here eavesdropping on this conversation in the San Francisco Bay Area to be reminded who took the first shot. Yes. And, you know, many Americans on that Saturday morning who awoken, made their coffee, turned on the TV set and saw the horrific news pouring out of Israel said, what a terrible thing. Oh, look at people that were at a rave just gunned down 200 young people lives senselessly taken for the many, many more that had been kidnapped for God knows who who knows what means ultimately before that chapter is even written. And then added to that the horror of what happened to that kibbutz when many were literally gunned down, still in their their bedclothing, asleep. And there was a sense of outrage. And then the very moment that Israel responded, all of a sudden the, the narrative for some changed into how can Israel possibly do that? And look at the horrific loss of life. And and I want to emphasize for listeners, if you look at the whole story and do, do your independent research as to what even happened at that hospital in Gaza yesterday, that to a person who understands the totality of what's transpiring here is clearly not the act of the IDF. That is either a a stray attempt at bombing Israel and it just missed its target or perhaps even, and I know to some this will be shocking, but perhaps even an intentionally fired missile by Islamic Jihad that knew there would be propaganda value if they destroyed a hospital and took 500 lives. Because quite frankly, they've proven repeatedly that they have absolutely no value value of human life whatsoever yes none whatsoever and i think right now it's clear um that this was not something that the idf was involved in but we're also very shocked you know to, to how how hard, hard it was for several people to agree to accept the fact that so many babies were slaughtered and they were asking for other confirmations and other eyewitnesses you know doubting those reports um, for days and days, and when it came to the to the hospital, which for all Israelis is, is a tragedy. People, uh, um, innocent people, lost their lives. But how quick they're able to just um, completely buy the narrative of this was IDF without a shred of a doubt. Um, we're dealing with uh, satanic forces out there. We're dealing with forces that um, are now clearer than ever just have a problem, to put it mildly, with our existence over there. This is not the 1967 question anymore. This is 1948 question. Um, this is a time where it's not about, and, and I think um, you would see those long-term consequences politically in Israel, um, that a lot of the liberal left and the agenda of two-state solution, etc., is completely wiped off the table. Um, most Israelis that had this um, idea that we need to come to some sort of an agreement now understand 
But the big question is not the two-state solution. It's not about is Israel occupying uh, a land that was um, 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 occupied in 1967 in the Six-Day War. Rather, the question that is out there is the 1948, the year that Israel was established, and whether people ex- um, accept our right to exist in this area in at all or not. <clears throat> and right now, and that's part of the, I think, the big recovery that we'll all have to go through is the, uh, is the idea that uh, the Palestinians in general do not agree, do not accept our existence um, period. And we have to come to terms with that. And we have to understand how do we live our lives now. Yeah, yeah, and of course, and ironically, some of us look at that and say, well, you can point back to the, the UN decision in 1948 for the creation of the State of Israel. And some of us would say, well, if we go back a little further in history, we'll recognize who exactly occupied that land to begin with. Um, and, and it certainly wasn't the Palestinians. L- let me ask you this, Yuri, as our time winds down. And again, I, I'm so appreciative of your willingness to get up uh, um, and and share some of your insights uh, directly from Tel Aviv. You have two daughters. What do you tell your daughters when they go to bed at night, or they hear the air raid sirens go off, or or, or perhaps even the sound of a of a tub being kicked in the background that unlikely is uh, that most likely is mortar fire of some sort? What 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 is the answer that you give to your daughters? Yeah. You know that's the um, that's the one million question, one million dollar question these days. How do you take care of it in, in, in a compassionate way as a responsible parent? Um, the, the, the answer is that it's not easy. Um, I have a thirteen year old and a ten year old daughter. Um, we just came we came back from from a tour to New York just um, a couple of weeks ago, um, and all of a sudden we have to explain what it means. Um, you cannot um, you cannot um, run away from the blasting sound of the siren and the fact that you're hiding because someone is shooting at you, mm-hmm. not specifically in our neighborhood. There is a sirens per neighborhood, um, and and you know it. it people under, kids understand that teenagers are smart and they understand that, and they're they're going through some sort of a trauma, and we have to hug them and we have to try to shelter them from unfortunately social media we have to make sure that we have the filters to um to allow this thing to sink in but not through videos and not through things online that you cannot uh control but what we're telling them and what i'm telling myself as well that this is jewish history unfortunately knocking at our door (laughs) and um unfortunately as jews yet again yet again we are reminded how fragile things could be for us and that we are linked in a very proud um, uh, um, history. And um, unfortunately, we thought we are in a different place, but we're not. But I'm tr- we're trying to be as compassionate as possible and we're trying to allow them to continue their daily life as much as possible. One of the advantages here in Israel is the fact that um, we're very tight-knit. Family is very close geographically to you uh, we're very connected to um, um, uh, brothers and sisters and cousins and so we're trying to come together really come together and spend as much time with each other and that has been extremely comforting um, but every parent you know it breaks your heart it breaks your heart literally to know that your innocent kids have to go through something like that um, 
And yet, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of how they're going through that. I'm very proud. I'm very proud. I'm telling them every night that our friends in the United States, you know, our friends in, at CityServe in, in California, they pray for us. We've got people praying for me. We've got people who want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and they're doing it time and time again. Well, and, and, and Yuri, we want to add to that list of people that are praying in, in Northern California, and many of you are familiar with the local impact that CityServe is having, and of course having a presence now in Israel as well, and they are engaged in a very uh, specific uh, execution of a plan. They call it the peace plan that includes the importance of prayer, education, Advocacy, which, of course, many of us can do here in the United States, demonstrating compassion, particularly for uh, the Jewish community and mobilization of churches and synagogues and renewing communities. And then, of course, also uh, much that they're doing in terms of economic development in the region, too. Um, Yuri, again, thank you so much for sharing. I know it isn't easy. We are going to encourage all of the folks that are eavesdropping on our conversation today to not only be praying for you and your family and the ministry that you're working doing there in partnership with CityServe, but also to pray for the people of Israel and the tremendous uh, turmoil and time that you're facing right now. Thank you. And I'll just finish with Hebrew. Am Yisrael Chai. The people of Israel are alive and well. And um, thank you for your time and thank you for everyone who's supporting and praying for us. Please keep doing that. We will continue to pray for you and pray for the peace of Israel. Yuri Steinberg, CityServe Israel Director, joining us live from Tel Aviv. Wow. Much to be praying about. So let's be about that, shall we? Six o'clock from KFAX San Francisco. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.